Tonight's reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 15. That is 970 of the Church Bible. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want to start with the question tonight, why pray? Why, why spend time praying? Why make that a, a regular activity in my heart that I actually plan and set aside time for? Why would I do that? I think we have to be honest and say that we're living particularly in a day and age where the modern society thinks it's rather like the antique roadshow. Prayer's something of the past. It's rather twee, nice to look at. But why would anyone in a modern world where we know that science and modern technology and everything else we have can make your life better? Why pray? It's interesting that actually recent studies to the absolute horror of the radical atheists of our generation have actually shown that the overwhelming majority of people do say at some point in their life they pray. Far from that being a redundant activity, the majority of people actually feel that there are times where nothing else will answer the situation but to pray. I remember some years ago walking through the Swiss Alps and, and finding up on one of the top of the Alps a prayer shrine in the middle of nowhere. I remember flying into Myanmar, and it's a plain land looking literally over the town of thousands of Buddhist prayer temples. Prayer. It's still very much a normal part of the struggle of life. But I want you to notice with me in Matthew chapter 6, and do have that open if you can there on your phone or with your Bible. I want you to notice how Jesus, in 52 words, completely redraws the importance, the approach, the reality of prayer. And what we come to know as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be looking at this and going through it line by line over these next months. But I want to just remind us before we dig into the first line this evening. That there are at least three things we need to recognize that Jesus sets out here before us as we come tonight. 
The first is simply this. There is more to prayer than simply doing business. There's more to prayer than simply doing business. John helped us last week to see how that often seems to have been the approach of both the Jews on the street corners and also the Gentiles with their many words. In both cases, they came to God in prayer, particularly driven by one thing. I need something. And whether it was through the refined methods and words of the Jews on the street corners, or whether it was through the multitude of words with the pagans trying to find the right secret words to get God to respond. That both of them came for the supreme purpose of doing business. I have to be honest and confess that sometimes I wonder if that's not what we do. We just want to help God with a few bullet points. I need this and this and this. And we see that primarily as prayer. But Jesus wants to remind you there's more to prayer than just doing business. There's more than just having set words. I think it's really helpful that we said tonight corporately the Lord's Prayer. But I do think we want to recognize that Jesus doesn't give us these words in order to say, look, when you pray, use these words. I like how the ESV puts it. I think it puts it better when it says, Jesus says, pray like this. And in one sense, I think what we really discover here is these are almost bullet points. When you're going through prayer, it gives us both a sort of journey through prayer that it leads us through, but it also helps us to see the things that we need to focus on. So Jesus in many ways is saying, look, I want to teach you how to come before your Father. And then thirdly, I think we have to say this. There is more to prayer than just praying. There's more to prayer than just praying. I hope you won't be upset if I try to apply that a little bit closer to home to myself and maybe to us. But I wonder if we recognize that as we ought to. And I say that simply for this reason. I've just noticed that when we call times of prayer, they are the worst attended meetings in the life of our fellowship. And I wonder if that's because we don't recognize there's more to prayer than praying. That what ought to be one of the most joyous occasions to come together. Sometimes we can treat rather like an awkward second cousin that we try to avoid. But Jesus wants us to look at it totally differently. Notice with me the first words, our Father in heaven. Notice there that Jesus, in those very simple words, immediately redraws prayer as exclusively a family prayer of the family gathering together. Our Father in heaven. 
It's not there just to do business. It's not there to actually simply impress others, but it is supremely there to enjoy the reality that I am part of God's family. Let me suggest to you that what we're going to be looking at tonight and seeing is this, that Jesus challenges and calls us to engage our Heavenly Father as we revel in our sonship and daughtership in God before His face. That's what prayer is. Reveling in my Father. So let's come to our passage, and I want to just suggest our I should say four words this evening. I want to just suggest there are three things we see in what Jesus puts forward there, our Father in heaven. And the first is this. It is a real family. It's not simply a metaphor. But but Jesus, in the very words he is using, is saying that this is a real family that we are coming into and experiencing in prayer. Now, one of the things I think that is easy for us to miss is that actually Jesus was being incredibly radical here. He was departing from the normal Jewish way in at least three ways here in this prayer and in his life. Number one, he uses Father. And to be honest, that was radical within the Jewish society. They might use it sometimes in a sort of official situation and an honorific way, but no one, no one, in their personal prayer, ever use the word Father. And they wouldn't, for about a thousand years, use it normally within the Jewish culture. Secondly, Jesus always used this form of address when he was praying. If you go through the Gospels, you will discover that Jesus always uses Father to address his Father and every single prayer but one. This last prayer upon the cross when he quotes scripture and says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every other prayer, he opens it in this way. And thirdly, and perhaps even more radically, notice with me that Jesus teaches his disciples, followers, and you and I to also address God as our Father. Now, you might say, why is that so radical? Well, on the one level, of course, we recognize that Jesus was utterly, in a unique way, the Son of God. No one else is the Son of God apart from Jesus in that unique way. And we also recognize that God is uniquely his Father in a unique way. And nothing can change that. But I want you to notice here in these words that Jesus is saying that when a person comes into Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they recognize their sin, they turn to Christ and say, forgive me on the basis of your death. Jesus is saying here that you enter into a same relationship even as he enjoyed in relating to God the Father as your father. That you suddenly, your life is defined by that reality. Do you remember when Jesus in John 20, after his resurrection, he says to Mary, go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my God and your God. 
to my father and your father. And that is what every believer is now in in their relationship with God in this real family. Now, I think it's important just to to recognize when we say that, that we're not saying that God is the father of everyone. I think this is where we need to be very clear. There's a difference between God being the creator and knowing him as father. Those are two different realities. God is the creator of everyone. And really, because of that, that is why everyone is accountable to God. And that is why we must all stand before God one day and give an account of our life. He is our creator. He has every right to call us to account. But he is only the father of those who have come and put their trust in Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that... In this world, there are only two families. There are only two fathers, as it were, in this world. There is the family of those who are in the first man, Adam. And he is their father. And all who are descendants of him, they share that unity together with him. And there is also a new family, the family of God that comes through rebirth, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Speaking of Adam, he said, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And and the Bible's clear. You're, You're either in one family or the other. All of us here tonight. If you know Jesus and have come to put your trust and faith in him, recognizing your own sin and that he went to the cross to die for your sins and you've cried out to him, then the Bible says that what has happened to you is you have moved from utter darkness with all the rest of those who are in Adam and into the marvelous light of being his children. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. That you were once dead in your sins. Meaning by that, that your sins would ultimately bring judgment upon your life if you did not turn to Christ. But now you're alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. That you were once children of wrath and disobedience. But now you are children of love, faith, and obedience through Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 4. That is who you are if you have come to put your trust in Christ. Now, you may be here tonight and you may say, well, wait a minute, Michael. I I haven't done that in my life. I'm in here and I'm visiting. I'm, I'm checking into what this whole stuff of Christianity is all about. Are you saying I have no hope? Well, the answer to you is, of course, I'm not saying that. In fact, I want to say you have incredible hope that you can turn to Christ tonight. You can recognize your sin and turn to him and say, Lord, I want you to be my savior. And tonight, you can become part of this family. The first thing Jesus wants us to show us is that this is a real family. 
The second thing these words show us is that it's an intimate family. Now, again, I think we miss this, but again, Jesus is using radical language. It would have been shaking those who were around him who heard it. He uses the word our father. He uses the word pater, which was a very intimate word that was only used within home. Children would call their father's pater, almost like we would today with a young child, they would call their dad dada. The very, very intimate word. And even in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we see it's linked together with the word Abba, which was only used of children in the first utterance of their sort of words to their own father. And Jesus uses this in an incredible way. If you go to the Old Testament, you will find in the whole Old Testament the word father is only used 14 times. Jesus in the gospel uses it 170 times. And 60 times in prayer. Every one of his prayers but his last one. He always addressed to the Father. And what Jesus is saying here is that in that most intimate way, those who come and put their trust in him are drawn into that same intimacy with God that they can call him Pater. Dada. J.I. Packer, I think, helps bring out the significance of that when he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything Jesus taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. I want to ask you tonight. Does the fatherhood of God excite you? Does it melt you? Does it... Has it become your identity of how you understand yourself? A deep sense of knowing God as our Father is one of the main ways that brings healing into our lives. We're living in a day that is understood as what's called expressive individualism. And by that, what it means is we live in a culture and a society at the moment where We put a buffer around our lives. We don't trust outside forces. We don't understand or trust outside voices. The government doesn't know what it's talking about. Our parents don't know what they're talking about. The past doesn't know what it's talking about. The teachers don't know what they're talking about. We don't trust them to tell us who we really are. So what we do in our modern society is we say, look, stop looking outside and look inside. 
Define who you are by what you feel inside and make that your identity. Because you can't trust what's outside. The problem is it's not working very well, is it? We've never had a society that is so anxious, so unsure, so chaotic as our society today. Jesus is saying, essentially, and we find this in the New Testament, that for those who have come into faith in Jesus, their identity is now rooted in the fact that God is their father. That's their identity that finds them and takes them through life. Now, I, I need to pause there a moment. and Some of us here, you grew up with some horrible feelings from your father. You've been betrayed, perhaps, by your father or wounded. And at the moment, part of your life is how do you engage and struggle with that? But I want to suggest that even if that's true, what you discover here is that here in God is the father you always dreamed you had. The father you longed for. The father who didn't ever betray you, but was always there. And notice it is as we know that, that it, it brings home the reality of the forgiveness as a felt experience in our heart. That, that, that God isn't distant. God isn't a something. But during the relationship, suddenly, I know I'm loved. That doesn't mean he isn't grieved in our sin, but he's still our father. It doesn't mean that he won't at times discipline us if we walk in compromise, but he's still our father. It doesn't mean we won't sometimes stumble, even to say the words because of our shame, but he's still our father. And it's as we know that and allow that to work in our hearts that God makes us into a children and begins to heal some of those deep hurts in our hearts. And then finally, notice he's our father in heaven. It's interesting to note there is not my father, but our father. In other words, we mustn't be put God in an abstract and individualistic way in our understanding. He's brought us into a huge corporate, transgenerational, transnational, transgender, trans-everything society and family in Christ. And yet, even within that... He's also the transcendent, infinite God who is beyond our understanding everything. He is our Father in heaven. And you know, if knowing Him as Father brings healing to our souls, brings confidence into our heart, humbles us, knowing God as our Father in heaven emboldens us. As we come before him. 
You see, I think what Jesus is doing here, he's combining the two together. Both we come humbly and incredibly bold with confidence before our Father. Let me give an example in John chapter 14. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he says to his disciples, John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then in chapter 15, verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Are those not outrageous words? Those are words that are open up to abuse. And some certainly have abused those very words in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Abusing what Jesus said. But I do want to say this in their at least defense in some respect. These are outrageous words from the lips of Jesus. What does Jesus mean by these? Can I suggest to you it's rather like my uh, three-year-old grandson. He comes up to his dad, and sometimes in his three-year-old boldness, asks for the absolutely unreasonable from his dad. Now look, he knows he's not going to get everything he asks from his dad, because he already has experienced that. He knows that full and well. He knows that only an idiot ever thinks you can order God what to do. But as his son, he comes with boldness because he's convinced his father can do anything. And even when he doesn't do what he asks, he still trusts him and snuggles into the love he has for his father, trusting his father knows best. Friends, I want to ask this, and I say this to myself as well, all of us. Why are we so tepid in our prayers? Why are we so refined? Why are we so scared to ask God to do the big things in our life? Because our God and our Father is in heaven. And he can do anything. We should never be tepid in our prayers. We should be bold. As a toddler, even though we know he may not answer all I ask. But I know he loves me and he'll hear my request. Jesus challenges us to engage our Heavenly Father as we revel in our sonship and daughtership in Christ before his throne. May God grant us the grace to be humbly bold and to come to our Father. Let's pray. Most gracious and merciful Lord, we thank you for the words that you taught your disciples and through the Spirit have made clear for us today. And we ask that we may catch something of the wonder 
of what it means to be a son or a daughter through faith in Christ before our Heavenly Father. Ignite within our hearts a longing and desire to be before the face of our Father. And grant us boldness in love. To bring all that is upon our hearts before your gracious throne. And we ask this for ourselves and one another in Jesus' name. Amen.